you're listening to the Builderpedia podcast, the only podcast that takes you on the whole property journey from planning, design, building, selling, and everything in between. Along the way, we'll introduce you to our network of friends and colleagues who are experts in their field. Now, here are your hosts, Matt and Jeannie from Ballast Point. Hi everyone, we've got a really exciting episode lined up today for those looking to start their property journey by getting into the property market and buy their first home. Now Jeannie, I know you're really excited and, and I know you're sitting on the fence. You're you're what I call property curious. <laughs> you're not exactly committed to buying or not buying yet, but I've uh, I've got just a person who can help you with that. We're really lucky to be joined by Matt Hayson a top-rated property sales agent and director of Cobden Hayson here in Balmain. Matt Hayson has almost three decades of local real estate experience and was the top-performing sales agent on the Balmain Peninsula in 2021. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking time out. I know you're you're a very busy agent and yet you've uh, made time for this crazy journey that we're on and, and I'm really very grateful. So thank you, Matt. For yeah, no us. pleasure. No, it's good thank to be you here, so Jean. Much. Yeah, no, no pleasure. No, looking forward to getting into it. I've known Matt a long time now. So uh, hopefully we're going to share some insights into not just the beginning of your property journey, but actually some of the things which might um, uh, come up if you're a more experienced person and the, and the things to watch out for and how to make sure that you're making a sound property decision. Yeah, so I've known Matt for longer than Jeannie's might. You've been around maybe even, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, I've bought a house off Matt years and years ago. And, you know, I, I guess we've, for disclosure or, or however you want to put it, you know, we've, we've, um, definitely um work together uh on on a few sales and, and purchases and uh yeah i the reason i work with matt is because he, he, you get no bullshit he's uh he tells you how it is and how it tells you it's gonna be is normally how it plays out so um you know he's a real source of uh information and and you know he's a great great partner in, in, in business so you know yeah I've known Matt for a long time and I guess the other thing about Matt he's uh he's very generous with his time and the fact that he's here is a is yet another demonstration of that but um you know he's, he's always got time to bounce off ideas and he's one of the most accessible busiest people I've known yeah thanks yeah I've seen your day in a life um video, oh, video. on YouTube and it's yeah and yeah. it seems like your days are just filled with um like calls and managing all the different people in your business so for yeah sure. thank you so much for being here with us today no 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 it's a pleasure and yeah it's, this is a love in here for you Matt but it's we never get to talk about this stuff outside of our normal transactional kind of relationship in some ways so it's good to actually been a different environment now to, um, you know, particularly between myself and Matt, uh, talk about a few other bits and pieces, which we probably don't get that much time to really do. So I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah. And I guess to frame up the questions that we have lined up today, um, for myself personally, I am a uni student, so I have never purchased any property before. So my role in, in today's podcast, I'll be asking more of the uh, basic questions for our listeners just to get on board um, in case they don't know some of, I guess, the more typical jargon, that kind of thing. And um, Matt, as you know, as Matt Wilk has said, you guys have had a couple of property transactions um, in the past. So I'm sure 
there will be a lot of in-depth, higher-level insight there as well. And by the end of this episode, Jeannie's going to be buying a property, uh, I think. She's going <laughs> to be good. on the hunt, I, yeah. I've no doubt. Yeah. She's going to go from property curious to, to property inspired. Yeah. Well, I... Yeah. Well, I actually had a pretty interesting conversation with my dad last night about his property journey that I've never had that conversation with him before. So maybe I'll learn a thing or two here and put the pieces together as well. Right. Um, Once you start, once you're in, (laughs) you're in, as is all of Sydney. (laughs) So let's jump into the, the questions for Matt Hazen. Starting with the basics, I haven't bought any property before. Where should someone like myself start sure. when you know deciding whether I'm in the right place financially and in the right life stage to be yeah. making this move? Yeah, yeah. Well, you've almost answered some of that yourself there. I guess it's always good to start with the why. Like why, why would you be looking to buy? What is it you think you need? Um, I think those are important things to start you on that, you know, get your, your ideas marinating and understanding what your, your journey might look like. Secondary to that, you're going to need to then understand your financial position. So there's no point in going out and looking um, because what we'll see often, I guess, for the novice property looker is they will be out looking at houses which they possibly can't afford or it actually isn't what they really need. So they'll invest a lot of time, energy, effort uh, on something that doesn't have a conclusion. So I think the important thing for anybody starting the journey is to understand your why, why you're out looking, what it is that you need, and then finding out whether or not you've actually got the financial capacity to go and make that happen. And what does that look like? And then I guess at that point, it's when you start to then become in contact with agents who will then be able to steer and guide you into towards those type of properties that you need. So even using, you know, Matt's, we've just you know, recently done a transaction with Matt. We knew exactly what he was after. Um, we knew what his capacity was and where they were at. And we were able to, you know, look through our database of properties coming online to say, well, look, we know we've got somebody up. And it really was matched with Matt exactly to where he was at because we knew everything about him, how he could act and everything like that. And it's just, I guess, putting, putting the puzzle together. So I think as a novice purchaser, they're the kind of key things to look at is your why, your finance, and then build a relationship with an agent to get out into the market and having a look around at what your money will get you and can you actually get what you can afford in that particular area. Yeah, awesome. And what are the most important things to look for when you you know you have maybe five or ten properties, I'm assuming, that you're deciding between? What are the most important things to look for that is critical to get right on and to never compromise on? Uh, that's a good question too. And and again, this is where we see maybe some novice errors where people buy with a short-term horizon in mind. They, they buy on the needs of today, not the needs of the future, because buying a property is likely to be a five to 10-year journey for, for somebody before you transact out of it. So importantly, I think if you're weighing up things when you're looking to purchase a property, you've got to see yourself in there with your lifestyle changes and how your life might evolve over the next five to 10 years to understand, okay, well, will this asset be something that's suitable for me, not just for the next month or two, because I need it, I feel like I need it today, but will it satisfy my needs potentially with a partner or a growing family and things like that, that might evolve in your life over the next five years. So they're things which I think are important just from a holistic kind of look at the property. Then when I guess you drill down into, and Matt will give you some good insight into this mm-hmm. stuff too, is, you know, what are the key things that um, make an area tick? What are the nuances of a property? Are you in the right street? 
Um, do you want to be near transport for a certain reason? Do you want to be walking distance to the parks because you've got, you know, like love to walk your dog? I mean, these are the things which I guess you need to yeah. start to weigh up. Um, and how, how, you know, how does a certain property sit in context with the other comparable properties which have traded over the last three to six month period? So, you know, okay, you've got some kind of level of intellect around this seems like reasonable value. Is it the right aspect? Does it have good street presence? Um, does the floor plan work? Do you look at things like um, the way the layout is structured that, you know, quite often we'll have in a Balmain area, for example, we'll have a multitude of two-bedroom properties, but the layouts of these two-bedroom properties can range anything from a single level, two-storey, disjointed one bedroom at the front, one bedroom at the back, the bathroom, is it located in a poor location? So mm-hmm. those things, I guess, you need to weigh up as well because, if you want to get the layout correct, again, this is where Matt will dive into, sometimes renovating a two-bedroom home to be a better layout two-bedroom home is expensive and not worth doing. So mm-hmm. trying to get the layout right is quite important and you'll only be able to do that once you've gone and had a look at a lot and measured this particular layout that you might be interested in versus many of the others which might have traded over the last six months. So that's quite important as well. Yeah, so I agree. I totally agree. You need to have a plan. You need to know where you're going to be heading because there's no point buying a property that doesn't fit into that plan. And what we do as a design business, when we first meet the client, we don't ask them how many bedrooms or we don't ask them what tiles they want. We ask them, what's your plan? What what are your objectives? And and what are you mm-hmm. looking to do? Are you looking to renovate, to sell it? Are you, are you looking to live here forever? Um, and and it's the same principle when you're buying. What are your objectives fundamentally? Because that determines which, which property is right. Um, I guess as an example, if... If, if you're looking to um, create a premium property from a renovator and you're going to put a pool in a garage and, and it's going to be a schmick property that you hope to recoup the value out of, well, don't buy just off Victoria Road under the flight path, <laughs> you know, or, or a busy mm. road to the yeah. freeway and a flight, like because premium buyers aren't going to be looking there. So if you don't get that right, you, you're going to be disappointed at a later date potentially. And it all it all comes back to work out your objectives and, and start there. What, what, what are you, why are you buying and what is it that you want to do? But I guess the other part of it is if you, you can change a lot with the property but you can't change where it is, right? So you can renovate, you can add a level potentially, you can put a cellar in, you can do all sorts of things, um, you know, depending on the property type, of course, but you can't move your property once you bought it. It is where it is. You you also can't turn it around. So if it's it's west-facing and next to a block of apartments that are looking down on you you can't change that you know you gotta so, so you gotta understand the, the limitations yeah so it sounds it sounds like the the process of 
actually selecting the apartment, it actually takes a lot of expertise. And, you know, Matt, Matt Wilk has said this before, it's always a good idea to get, you know, your mates or, you know, people in the building industry to, to just kind of put in their say so that you do have, you know, varied amounts of perspective that you could really weigh up those decisions. And I guess this leads into a question that I had, you know, with everything that both of you are saying, it's quite an involved process, actually selecting the property, which goes against, I guess, some of um, the investing advice that I've I've heard of where people are kind of like, oh, you should buy property in several different states to diversify and for, you know, certain tax benefits. Would you would you be supportive or critical of this kind of investing strategy? Does it seem a bit like a -a whack-a-mole strategy? Yeah, it sounds pretty risky. I mean, look, Matt would know and I'm the same. I've been in Balmain for 27 years and I'm still learning stuff about the nuances of the area and um you know, I feel like we've got a pretty good pattern on that now, but it, it takes a long time to understand your market. And I've got, I know examples of people that went off to the, you know, in the gold rush with the mining boom in Western Australia and buying houses up near Kalgoorlie for 200 grand that tra- went to 700,000. But a year later, they were back at 150 and they were losing money, you know, same in far North Queensland. Yeah. So I, I, look, I, I think it depends on how much time you're willing to invest in doing something like that. But I think it would be fraught with danger to just pop up in, Sydney and Adelaide and Brisbane and trying to buy investments that you think are, you know, well positioned uh, at reasonable value. And again, it depends what you're wanting. If you're going to hold them for 20 years, okay, maybe that's a different story. But look, there's a there's a reason why the Sydney property market has always outperformed the rest of the country. Um, and, you know, I think it's a pretty safe haven because when the market uh, booms, it booms pretty hard. But when the market, you know, does see a, a bit of a downturn, it holds its value better than any other state uh, or city in the country. So, you know, I'd be I'd be cautious. I don't know if Matt, you share the same view, but I'd be very cautious about drifting too far from where you know going outside the railroad, the train tracks uh, about where you're investing your money. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably take that one step further. And and uh, as you know, Matt, I only uh, invest in property where I walk my dog and nowhere else. <laughs> Yeah. And so that's that's the that's the uh, Matt Wilk dog walking rule. Don't buy property where you don't walk your dog, um, because you don't, you can't know. It's a it, it, there's always risks, um, and you need to know where um, someone's going to put in a tunnel or or a tunnel vent or. <laughs> Um, where what what's happening in your or, or where or or on the flip side of that where the metro line is going in so if you know where that's happening that's that's um you know great knowledge but i but i think you know people spend a lot of resource planning their their super investments and their retirement and their their share portfolios sometimes when it comes to buying a house they they kind of go oh yeah that'll that looks all right and uh, they get excited and um, they really don't do the sort of due diligence that that they would for a much smaller investment um, it's it's generally accepted that it's going to be a biggest for most people it's your biggest investment and uh, yeah I, I think uh, people get swept up and they don't want to miss out on things and uh, but I, I yeah, you won't change my mind. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess, 
the flip side of investing in in Balmain and and that limited view is that it's it's an area where people really want to live and and it's actually the market is kind of rigged in a way because supply of houses on the Balmain Peninsula as an example as as in a lot of you know burbs of, of cities um supply is fixed is at zero essentially there might be the odd subdivision but there aren't any more houses to be built so supply is zero demand is high mm. uh you're on the right side of uh of, of basic economics and if if you keep that in mind uh i i think you're, you're gonna do you're all that, that's why Sydney and particularly inner Sydney always outperforms the rest of the country because demand is how people want to live here. People like living here and uh, that I don't see any disruption to that. I mean, even during, you, you know, you'd think there's all the tree changes moving out. They're going to be back. They're going to get, they're going to be, yeah. you know, they're going to get bored of living in uh, places. You know, the, once the romance is gone, they're going well, to miss Balmain. It's so true, Matt. And we touched touch on that before, which goes back to the original point of like, why, think of your objectives about why you're buying. And we saw that through COVID. People were making knee-jerk responses to, oh, I don't have to work in the office anymore. Oh, Sydney's, you know, I want a lifestyle to change. And they all left for the Southern Highlands and Byron Bays and all this type of stuff. But what we're seeing now is, Life is starting to return to normal. People are being asked to come back into offices and there's that lack of sense of collaboration with people from working from afar and on digital and they're like oh, yearning for, for that return to some kind of more normal business life. And now, as you say, that the people are coming back and they're like, well, hang on, I, how do I get back into the bow market? Well, it's like, well, guess what? That market went up 30% last year and where you're, where you're moving from didn't see that kind of growth and you've got to get back to the market. But it just seemed like such a a short-term mindset to, to make that adjustment. So I think the next few years are going to be quite interesting as people, as to your point, want to come back and return to Sydney. Well, speaking of risk and, you know, making short-term decisions and I guess mistakes in general, what are the biggest mistakes, Matt Hasten, that you've, you know, you've seen in your career that are typical um, of, you know, novice uh, property buyers? Uh, people buying on emotion without doing appropriate due, due diligence is a big one. Um, so we often see if somebody's been in the market for a little while, they might have their pre-approval. That pre-approval might be expiring. So you get a pre-approval normally for about six months. Now, during that process, uh, certainly over the last 18 months, a lot of people have gone through the market and missed a lot of properties. So what ends up happening is every property that they miss means that they're just that little bit closer and more aggressive in pursuit of the next property. And so what happens too is somebody might come into the market with the ideal category of here's all the things that I, I want in a property. But after you miss three or four or five auctions, it's amazing how quickly you compromise on that, that high level list that you had initially. Mm. And we see people that say, look, I definitely wanted parking. I definitely wanted land. I definitely wanted the right aspect. And they end up buying something on a busy road with small land and south facing. So you kind of look at them and go, wow, how did that happen? But it's just through, they get, you know, grinded down uh, through the process that they ultimately then end up just making a decision just to get on the property ladder but have ultimately compromised on all the, the, the key values of why they're looking in the first place. So that's a big one that we see. Um, and I'll often say to people, 
just be patient. Someone once said to me, houses are like buses. There's always another one coming. Just be patient and take your time. So mm -hmm. even if you have to go and reapply for your finance, just make sure you're sticking as close to your objectives as possible and don't compromise too much. Um, that, that said, I always say to people that our area is an area of compromise, but don't compromise on the key things that were really important to you and valuable. So that's probably the, the, the biggest thing that I see people making a mistake around. Yeah, sure. Um, so on the Cogden Hasten website, I had a look at, um, you know, the page for buyers and you mentioned unlocking the hidden 20%. Um, so, so that's talking about how sometimes there are really good properties that you could buy that might not be available publicly. Can you expand a little bit on that and how yeah. our listeners can take advantage of that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So off market, selling things off market or what we call off market, right? They're still, you know, we, if you want to get technical, we still have photos and a floor plan and some things like that, but we're, we're generally only sending these to people that are registered on our database. So they're not ending up on the main portals of domain or realestate.com. So for the general public, they don't know that they're available um, and there's no signboard or anything like that. So really they, they are kind of like secret listings, so to speak. And what we'll do with those particular properties is just contact our database uh, and invite people that we think have uh, a match. So a buyer match in terms of price, accommodation, uh, area, and then we'll invite them to come through and have a look at those properties. And in many cases, yes, yeah, so just over 20% of what we bring to market sells before it actually gets to the open, broader public market. Um, and, that, and that's through, I guess, buyers doing the groundwork behind the scenes, attending one of our more public open homes. We refine down their data, what they're looking for, start to get a relationship built with them, and then make sure that they're on our system so that whenever we get something that we think is actually the ideal match for them, we'll be going directly to them before we go and speak to anybody else uh, you know, in the broader public. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that going on now, you know, and that's and that's been the sophistication upgrades with databases, um, and also probably the upgraded in tr uh, skills and training of, of of agents. Probably in the last ten years, it used to be, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it used to be a a, a more quietly done thing, but now it, it represents, you know, I, I think for the better agencies, somewhere between twenty and thirty percent of what they sell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've we've talked earlier about common mistakes that you've seen. So in in response to that, what would you say, you know, in your experience, what what are some good strategies and tips and advice that you would give to our listeners to get their offer in and avoid missing out on the property that they like and also to avoid overpaying? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, look, I mean, overpaying is, I guess, in the eye of the beholder in some sense, right? If you if you've found the ideal property and you fall in love with it, you'll pay, you know, I think we're all guilty of paying a little bit extra just to get it. Um, that said, I think the key thing, and the, the problem is it's a minefield because every agent operates very differently. And that's why I've got a good relationship with Matt because I know he's a straight character and you know what he says is what you get. So unfortunately, from a buyer's perspective, the way agents operate is a minefield. So uh, the language that they use might sound the same, but they can mean two very different things, you know. So one agent might say, oh, look, if you give me an offer of a million, you know, I'll take that to the owner and we'll see what happens. Another, But that might be that the owner actually wants 1.1 and they just, and they're wanting to get an offer from you. Whereas another agent might say, look, give me a million dollars and uh, I think you'll get it done. And that might actually be the truth. So from a buyer's perspective, it's quite difficult to understand how each and every agent works. And 
Um, this comes back to our other point, which was understanding your area so well and, and, and how the agents operate is very valuable because the more knowledge that you have about how each and every operator in the area uh, goes about their business in selling property enables you to know how do you treat and act with that particular agent. Um, so, you know, from our perspective, we very much carry ourselves in the basis of what we tell a buyer is very much open, accurate. It's what we're telling the seller. If we give you some guidance about what we think is the best best path forward for you to purchase, then that will be the best path. There's no question. Um, but you'll only get to know that as a as a buyer if you probably spend probably north of three months going and attending every open home that's in and around your price range, getting to know the agents, understanding how they operate, having a look at their past track record when they bring a property to the market. What was the guide? What did it end up selling for? Did it sell at auction? Did it sell prior? So you could start to get a bit of a rhythm and a feel for the sentiment and the buyer movement. So I think they're pretty key things in order for you to make uh, what you think is the right offer um, and also how to treat with the agent. I think it's very important. I would add um, it creating a relationship with with agents is is primarily well it, it's a good it's a good thing to do if you're in a particular area get to know the agents get them to know you tell them what you're after um and you know my my secret is to bounce things off matt when i'm looking to buy property from potentially from somewhere else then i i don't i i've never used a buyer's agent, but I've been on the other end of dealing with buyer's agents buying property of, on behalf of their clients. And I, I've been left thinking, you haven't done your client any favours here. <laughs> you've, you've probably paid too much and uh, you, you, they stay, you know, I, I yeah. mean, maybe I'm be, being a bit unfair to, to buyer's agents generally, but my, my ex direct experience is, they want to get the deal done because they get a commission um, and they're getting a good deal for their client it has seemed from the other side to be a bit secondary to, to getting the deal across the line. Um, I guess it's just the same thing can be said for um, real estate agents. Um, my hot tip for buying property, and Matt, cover your ears, on this one, Matt Hayson, stop listening. Okay. My, my, my hot tip is <laughs> if you see a property listed by an agent who's out of area and you approach them and they don't return your calls and they're a bit slack, that's the agent you want to buy from. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that they're the people you want to hone in on because they're not doing a good job selling and they're not going to get a good price for their client. And, and they're, they're the ones that I, you know, when I see that and, and then when I see the property sitting there and, and not selling and, and the agent's not that motivated or that not that sort of helpful, then I'm, I'm kind of going, I, I, I can smell a good deal. You know, that's, that's, that's how it, that's how it feels. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I've, and I've seen, I've, I mean, I've seen that and you can do a little bit of background on the agent and, and I've seen it, you know, I've recommended a deal to a client in, um, in Forest Lodge and you could see it from a mile away. They were, a, they were an agent 
from somewhere in you know west of Stratfield, which is not a bad thing in itself, but they they were not really they didn't really have property in the area. They didn't have knowledge in the area. They rent. They were mostly a rental agent that that did a couple of apartment sales during the year and you could then then they were selling this place and, and and they were a little bit out of their depth and you could see that it was going to be the biggest sale of the year their biggest commission of the year and you could see that they'd be pretty motivated to just get it done and uh you know and and it was a bargain um and my my client didn't go for it in the end but because it wasn't the right exactly the right thing but but you could see the sale price and you're kind of going, that's an unbelievable deal for someone. And they do come up, as you rightly say, Matt. And uh, I mean, Jeannie, to, to your point about presenting an offer and things like that, some key things that we always look for from an agent, because a lot of buyers will come into our uh, frame and say, oh, look, I'm really interested. But quite often, they don't. their finance isn't actually, they've got a pre-approval, so they don't have their formal approval. They don't have a solicitor that's actually ready to review a contract and act very quickly for them, because everything moves pretty quickly in Sydney. So you need a solicitor that you can rely on and you can trust and responds to things quickly and doesn't get in the way. So some solicitors want to get in and nitpick and make things complicated when really it doesn't need to be. So uh, having a good solicitor is actually a really key point as well, because when you want to present an offer, certainly to us as an agent, you want to be able to say, I've already looked at the contract. I'm happy with the building report. My solicitor's reviewed the contract as well, and we're really good to go. We can provide a 66W certificate, which means there's no calling off because all of a sudden you'll see the agent, you know, they'll sit up and pay attention to that and go, wow, this is a, this is a buyer that's ready, motivated and can tra- transact quite quickly. So that is a big different conversation that we'll have with our vendor to say, we've got a bunch of buyers over here that are maybe ready to do something yet on this side of the equation we've got another buyer here that's saying ready to act commercially sound finance ready contract ready can sign an unconditional contract today so for some sellers when certainty is important having those terms and conditions and conversations really powerful one question on the tail end of that i i've always presumed that uh there's some law or some agreement with with um sales agents that if you put an offer in then they're sort of required to let you know that it um that, that it the property is about to sell to sell and i but i've always just presumed that i've never actually bothered to ask so i may as well ask now because i i've always thought that if you have an offer yeah. in even if even if it's not accepted or it's sitting there um the agent's obliged in some way to let you know that it's about to sell and you, and you can if you've got the opportunity to increase your offer is that is that right matt yeah well, no no it's not unfortunately yeah so this is where it gets a bit cowboy country in terms of our um our, our industry in some ways uh no so if an offer was to come in um and you'd also seen the property even if you're a contract holder the vendor could very well make the decision look i like them i'm going to go with them sell it to them, don't even call anybody back. So like in the odd occasion, that may happen. And you'll just get a call from the agent saying, oh, I'm sorry, look, the vendor's made a decision. We've gone with buyer X. Um, uh, so sadly, you can be left, you know, going, oh, hang on. So so it's a, it's a common conversation we have with um, certain people that uh, say, oh, look, I was really interested. The agent didn't call me back. I would have paid more. Now, 
there's variations to that story because sometimes, you know, the buyer was playing games, wasn't very clear. And Jeannie, this is another point in terms of learning and understanding how you deal with real estate agencies. I think it's very mm-hmm. important that you do have an open dialogue. I mean, sure, keep keep your cards slightly close to, to your chest, but, but, you know, agents aren't mind readers. So you might say that I'm interested uh, but not return calls or whatever. So sometimes that gives the impression to the agent, uh, well, they're not really interested because they're not engaging in any return calls, mm-hmm. emails, follow-up or anything like yeah. that. It might very well be that you're busy, but and, and, and really the auction date might be another three weeks away. So in your mind, you might go, oh, the auction's off another three. I'll get back to them next week. But the thing is we might have an offer. Things might be ramping up. The urgency might be yeah. increasing today and, and we're looking for you today. Um, so... Uh, Matt, Matt made the good point. I mean, having a good relationship with agents and bouncing off ideas, having dialogue, you don't need to delve into say, look, my budget's a million and I can spend that. And you don't need to go into all of that detail, but certainly making sure that the agent has the highest level of respect to ensure that whatever happens, I'll come back to you. Um, so, you know, and another fallacy, I guess, in the um, real estate space, Matt, for you is to, one of the things that we're, we're often confronted with when people go to make an offer they're under the impression that if they, if we're guiding a million dollars and they come in and offer a million and fifty, there is an expectation that we're meant to lift our guide up to, and, and we don't accept the offer. There's an expectation that that guide needs to be lifted to a million and fifty because we've not accepted an offer uh, that's higher than the original guide. The, the fact is, we actually don't need to lift that guide, and this is where it gets a bit technical in our world because an offer really constitutes uh, a signed contract, a check a 66W for you to then say, no, we're not going to accept that. But somebody just writing an email or verbally saying, I'll give you a million and 50, doesn't mean that the vendor needs to change their entire strategy because somebody has made this conversation. Because in theory, and this is this is a tip, which I've, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I, don't, I hope nobody does, but I've always taken the view that if you really wanted to ruin a sale and get it at a cheap price, what would prevent five of your friends walking in not pretending you don't know each other and all saying we're really interested in this property. We all want to take a contract. You're guiding a million. Oh, we're interested at one, one to one, two. Great. The agent thinks fantastic. I've got this great auction lining up. I've got five contracts out, lots of people talking positively about the property. And then the night before the auction, everybody, or, or, or you all turn up to the auction, no one bids because they're all your mates and you get it for 950 because you all pull out or don't bid. So that, that's, that's, there's a lot of technical kind of gray area with the real estate space. So, they're things which, from an agent's perspective, is we've often, often tarnished with a pretty poor brush about, oh, the agent didn't do this or didn't say that. But on the flip side of that, we've got a saying that, you know, a lot of buyers are liars. You know, they tell us one thing, they don't act, they'll start an open negotiation with us, but the next thing they know, they've bought a house down the road they didn't even tell us they're looking at. So there's a lot of things that go on um, that can muddy the waters transacting property. So open communication is pretty critical. The, the takeout, Jeannie, is if you're interested in something, make it make a noise. Don't just sit there waiting for an auction. Make contact and tell them that yeah. you're interested. Just touching on the price guide because they, they can be completely unreliable. And, and I, I was having a chat to a mate of mine a little while ago and he's looking at the price guides and, and he's sort of just confused and i said you're you're looking in the wrong section of realestate.com look at the sales don't look at the price if you want to know how much property is worth it's only worth what's paid not what's guided so if you're researching or you're looking you have to look at sales and that's that's how values established in the market Totally. That's right. And and where it gets also tricky for, for for buyers is you've got different vendor motivations, right? So you've got vendors that have bought, they need to sell. 
right? So they're going to be more open to negotiation and flexibility on terms and want to do a deal. Then you've got these more what might be considered ambitious sellers that are only selling because they want to realise the price in an asset. Uh, so their motivation's limited. So you might see a guide on that and they might be like, well, we're not moving from that guide. You know, we're not, we're not adjusting. We, 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 if we sell it, we sell it. If we don't, we don't. Uh, whereas you've got a like, you know, might have a like for light a- asset but that vendor has bought. So they're like, you get me an offer and I'm here to talk. So mm-hmm. you've got to, it's, it's where it gets a bit tricky as well. And is there an option? Like, because Matt, you're, you're straight up. I know that when I'm the vendor, you know, whatever's coming in gets to me. I know when um, I'm a buyer, if I put an offer in or ha- start a discussion that I know that that message gets through to the vendor. But sometimes I do get the sense that there's miscommunication or sometimes I just get the sense that I have an age that I'm dealing with an agent that is particularly inefficient. I mean, is there like a circuit breaker? Could you could you get your solicitor to put an offer into to the vendor's solicitor instead if you've lost confidence? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's probably your last port of call, right? So if you just feel really lost confidence in the agent that you're dealing with and you don't feel there's a level of trust and transparency there, I'd always recommend that you make an offer uh, CCing in both solicitors, so yours and the vendor solicitor, to ensure that that message is clear that gets through to the vendor. Um, and it all it should also red flag to the solicitor if they're worth this, you know, their salt. That that mm-hmm. what what why am I getting an offer? Is the agent not doing their 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 role here? So that that will trigger an alarm bell for them to call the client to say, look, I've, I've had this offer. Is your is your client aware of it? Now you will definitely put the agent offside, but sometimes agents that aren't particularly professional. They need to be aware of that. And and quite frankly, most of the time they won't last in the industry. So they'll be here today, gone tomorrow. So you won't need to deal with them into the future, most likely anyway. But that's what I'd recommend you do. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a great that's that's a really great point. And a, and it's kind of um it's funny because I've been thinking about that for a long time and I've never actually yeah. So so I think you're you're actually, you know, Jeannie's the uh the the fence sitter, the, the apparently the novice, but here here am I. <laughs> Still learning. <laughs> giving advice but still learning there's there's a lot yeah. there's a lot to learn right you know there is there's there's things that you kind of know through habit and experience but you've never really interrogated and uh that's the whole i guess that's why we're here yeah yeah indeed well a lot of it's around psychology isn't it of people and unfortunately people there's, yeah. no, there's no we're not all the same and, and there's emotion um and that's not a yeah. tangible thing that you can kind of measure very well so that's where buying a property can be quite complex around people and emotion mm-hmm. I get, that leads really perfectly into our final question to wrap everything up matt hasten i just want to get your insight on whether you think the property market is something that could be predicted with hard logic. So is it something that, you know, buyers should time for, you know, maybe like a drop in price to, to get into the market or whether it's something more not tangible, like Correct. it's yeah. to do with consumer psychology or culture maybe? Yeah, uh, such a good question, right? So I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty analytical because I'm constantly looking at a lot of data uh, you know, mm. metrics like auction clearance rates, also forecasting. We get a lot of that information. You know, what are the major banks forecasting for the future of property price growth and things like that? So, look, we, this is very interesting timing because at the beginning of the pandemic back in March, whatever, 2020, um, mm. you know, all of the major banks were predicting there would be significant price reductions in property prices. Some, some were as uh, aggressive as saying that we could see up to 30% in price declines. If you fast-forwarded, uh, 12 months later, we'd actually seen the complete reverse. So we'd seen 30% growth. 
Uh, and this is the biggest financial institutions in the country, which have all of these market analysts breaking down all the data, trying to read all the metrics mm-hmm. and everything like that. But the thing which, which you know, you look at here in Australia is uh, real estate is largely protected by government in some ways because most people's wealth and the health of the economy and the level of sentiment mm-hmm. and positivity is largely interlinked with what they feel about their property prices and things like that. So it's not to say it's bulletproof because we will have ups and downs and things like that, but the the, the, the large volatile swings certainly to the downside are pretty minimal when you look over the last 50 years. Um, and, it's, and, and that's because, you know, interest rates can be manipulated, the government can increase stimulus. There's all sorts of metrics that um, when you're going to forecast stuff, a lot of that forecasting doesn't uh, anticipate the volatility in the world or what the government might react if that happens and this happens. What happens when a pandemic comes? Oh, well, the government's going to chuck in the biggest load of stimulus that the, the, the country's ever seen, and that's been global. So you've seen that global phenomenon of real estate prices skyrocketing around the world, uh, and now we're just starting to see a slow easing back of that. But I then laugh to see that these same institutions that were not just wrong, they were they were thousands of percent wrong with their forecasting of the last 12 months. They're now the, our institute, like our, like our media institutions, like the Australian Financial Review, still go back to these forecasters and say, oh, well, now they're forecasting this. It's like, but there's no accountability that, oh, by the way, their last year of forecasting was a thousand percent wrong, but here they are again. So you make your decision based on that. So we often see people going, oh, I'm going to wait. So what happens is in the market when it's booming, we see the conversation from uh, the pessimistic buyer that says, oh, it's too heated. I'm going to wait for it to come off. Then the market, as mm-hmm. it's doing at the present time, may be slightly easing back now. And we go to that same pessimistic buyer and say, well, now's your time. The interest rates are still low. You Now's your opportunity. The market's coming off. There's less competition. The auction clearance, oh, we're going to wait for it to fall lower. <laughs> when will you buy? And my grandfather, who was in real estate all his life, he gave me a, a, a picture and it's, um, it's a great frame picture um, and he was in property and, it, and the frame was, it's an old man with a walking stick sitting in the reception of a, a real estate agency and there's a person at the reception desk saying, oh, who's that over there? And the receptionist says, that's the young man that's waiting for real estate prices to, to, to drop down, you know. <laughs> and it's so true that my view is, is simple. If, you, if you're in a window that you need to buy for a certain reason, getting back to Matt's original thing about your objectives are pure mm-hmm. and, and the right reasons, there is the time to buy is when it's the time to buy. You cannot pick the ups yeah. and downs. Um, yes, you might be able to delve into a little bit of sentiment and everything like that. But what we do know now is the world's volatile and it moves and changes too rapidly for you to make a, a, an honest prediction about what's going to happen in 12 months' time. So, so I, um, I actually did a um, graduate sort of certificate in, uh, in commerce and uh, it, was, it was great. Um, microeconomics was, was really logical and, and great financing and, you know, and, and things like that made a lot of sense. Then I did a unit in macroeconomics and, <laughs> and so I couldn't, it, it didn't make any sense. Um, it, it only made like, so they had, um, and, and I guess to, to be fair, I've come from like my, the first thing I studied uh, after I left school was a year of science. And, um, you know, they, mostly you could rely on the equations uh for gravity and a lot of other things. And when I studied macroeconomics, I just said to the teacher, this, this doesn't really make sense. It, all, 
your equations only work until they don't, and then you have to change your equations. And and so it it was it was like that all through studying macroeconomics. Here's the equation for whatever it is, supply and demand. And here's where it stops working, and here's where we tweak the equation. Totally. And I'm like, you, you, it only works till it doesn't. It's, yeah. It's not a reliable science at all. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a, it's necessary. We we do need economists, but yeah, you, you no one actually knows because the system is complicated. It's too complicated. It's too complicated. Um, and yeah. and you got so many people in in making emotional decisions you're never going to predict the market no one's going to predict the market um as matt said the banks aren't (laughs) matt hayson isn't uh i'm not no one no one it's like the wolf of wall street scene yeah it is totally it's (laughs) yeah Yeah. it it, it really is and you know i see the banks too like they update their forecasts almost month oh no now it's 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 not a forecast it's oh our forecast was wrong we're now forecasting what actually just happened and I've, what i've learned over the, studying a lot of this forecasting is your point no forecasting in anything i've found gets right like whether or not it's polling for um who's going to win government whether or not it's you know how many people were going to get sick with COVID. like they're all they're all not they're all like wildly wrong it's quite it's quite crazy <laughs> the, the weather the weather predictions the weather. are getting more accurate yeah, no. but yeah. uh yeah. but market predictions it seem to be always just getting same or, or getting worse i should say yeah but i think there's there's one underlying fact that what what i've observed and i i'd be interested to to know your input matt um is what i've observed is that in every market there are really amazing deals and in every market there are bad deals so yeah in the hottest market there are bargains that that are overlooked and i think the reason that happens is because it's a finite pool of buyers and buyers are distracted by life and and other things and as you know matt that you know one minute you got buyers that are keen and the next minute something happens and they're all on holidays or they've they've got some family tragedy to do or family situation to deal with and they're gone and um, they've they've it's it's very fickle and you can you can pick out deals and so, so i think the important thing is that you find value in the market that you're in like yes, that's that's, right. that's what you got to look for if so and, and that starts by looking at sales not not what's coming up it's actually knowing what things are worth in the current market and then when you know what when you know the area, you know the market, you know the streets, and and you know, five streets away is a different market at totally. times. Yep, um, So knowing that market and knowing value is the thing that's going to make you money in in investing, and knowing what's a good deal. And a lot of the times, I've looked at um, what's been offered, looked at the price, I've paid the price that has been asked because I feel it's a good deal and it, and it takes it off the market. And, um, you know, and th- that happened in the, the first house that, um, that, that I ever bought. Um, it, it came up, it, a, a sale fell through and it came back on the market at, at a, at a reduced 
price and and us just we just said that's a good deal we'll take it someone else bid a bit or put in an offer that was a bit less and probably regretted it later um because they they came back and uh, and offered more than we did but that that you know that to their credit the vendor said well you paid the price i was asking so so we're, we're selling to you we don't want to be mucked around anymore um so that's that's my that's my experience so i'm wondering matt i'm wondering matt whether you 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 agree with the value oh, look, know, totally that, yeah that there's opportunities in the hottest market there's, there's amazing opportunities or, or, always but again it's you've got to immerse yourself in the project right so it's not it's 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 not like you're going and picking up some toothpaste it's you've got to really study understand you know the streets um what's been available what's sold the time that they're on the market uh, so it's it's really a full project that you should really immerse yourself in. Yeah. Wow. All right. Are you immersed, Jeannie? Like, you- <laughs> I have. Well, it's for me, like there's so much value in all that we've covered today. And a lot of it's very new to me. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt Hayson. Pleasure. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Okay. Thank you so much, Matt, for, for making the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. No, no, great to be here. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Talk later. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and please join us again next time to discuss the tips and tricks to help you design for your new property with our expert guest architect. Thank you for tuning in to Buildopedia. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating to help other listeners like you find our podcast. For more information, please check out the show notes and connect with us on social media. We would love to hear from you.